It is an honor to be in this house amongst my peers and my friends, and Mrs. Kokinas has been such a mentor of faith to me. And here we go, here's the waterworks. It is a woman's meeting, so it's appropriate that we cry. Um, but she's been such a, a, a consistent, steadfast um, mentor uh, for me growing up, and she's been like family, because our family was far away, so just to be here, to have you say, would you come speak at my ladies' conference, I was like, I literally said the first words were, are you sure? <laughs> me, are you sure? But what I love about standing behind this pulpit that my father stood behind and my mother and, and so many people that I respect and love um, is that a church is not built on a personality. A church is built on vision. And as long as there's people still there to carry out the vision, God will continue the work that he's called that church to do. So it's an honor to be here. I'm excited. And I believe God has. He's already spoken so much to us this morning, and I feel like we could go home, so God bless you. But, <laughs> but I feel like we're going to get more today. And so much of what she said was parts and little tokens of what I have for this morning and tonight. So just be ready. Be open to the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we honor you with our whole heart, God, not just part of it, not just part of our soul and mind and spirit, God, but we give you first place in every single part of us today. God, I ask you to open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and God, may we leave this place with an open heart, with an open mind, and with an open spirit, God, to walk in the pathway, the expansive pathway that you've prepared for us to walk in. God, we glorify you this morning, and I pray, Father God, that anything that is not of you, Father, may it not come out of my mouth. God, I ask you to speak through my mouth and think through my mind, God, because we want your will this morning. It is not about a person. It is not about a place, God. It is about you, and we humble ourselves before you, and we say, have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke 10. I want to talk today about the one thing. The title of my message is The One Thing, Finding the Balance of a Heart Like Mary with a To-Do List Like Martha. Because I know so often in our lives, we intend to do the right thing, the one thing that God has asked us to do. But like Miss Tina was saying this morning, God is saying to the church, let him who have ears hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So my question for you today is, when Jesus is speaking, where are you? When Jesus is talking, do you have an open ear and an open heart to what he's saying, or are you too busy in the things of life? So finding the balance of a heart like Mary with a to-do list like Martha is not always easy, but it is doable, and I believe it's the path that God has called us to walk in. So Luke 10:38. We're talking about two women that we're quite familiar with. And I love this story because I think there's so much in it. Every time I read it, I get a little bit something out of it. But verse 38 says, Now they were traveling along. This is talking about Jesus and his disciples that were with him. And he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. 
But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So often when I read this story, when I was younger, I was like all about Mary. I'm Mary. I would, if Jesus were here, I would totally be at his feet. But the older I got and the more responsibilities in your life, you kind of go, ooh, maybe there's a little bit of that Martha mentality in me. Because you have to picture the way we read in scriptures, and I'm not a, theolo a theologian, but it seems like Martha is always mentioned before Mary, so maybe that indicates she was the elder sister, I don't know. But it seems like she was the one who actually gave out the invitation, come to my home. So she was probably, as most of us are when company's coming, busy that whole day, getting prepared, setting up, and Mary might have been right alongside helping her cook, helping her clean, helping her prepare. And then I think that if we read the, the instances that Jesus has an encounter with Mary and Martha, it seems like not only Mary acknowledges him as the Lord and the Christ and honors that position, but Martha does as well. I mean, she wouldn't have invited him to her home and went through all of that trouble to serve him and to prepare a place for him. So if you can imagine, I'm sure Martha, as, as knowing Jesus was coming to her home, had that excitement, that anticipation, was excited for the master to come and, and be with them. And when he came in, she set him down. You know how we do with guests. We settle them down, and we have a smile on our face. And it's almost like, yes, we do this all the time. <laughs> but then we immediately go, oh my goodness, we got to get the drinks. We got to get the food. We gotta, are they happy? Are they having a good time? Are they, is everybody mingling? And all of these things start to run through your mind. So I can, I can imagine Martha going into the kitchen, starting to cook. And she's like, where is Mary? I haven't seen her. Where is Mary? She looks out, she peeks out, and there Mary is, sitting in the corner, listening to Jesus talk. Well, well, I mean, I've done the same thing. I'm not going to stand up here and go, oh, I've never done that before. No, we've had company at our house. And I've been in the kitchen, and my husband has just been happy as a lark with all of our guests. And I'm like trying to do five dishes at once, trying to get it on the table. And I'm like, hey, babe, 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 babe. And you're trying to do it like a gracious host, you know. I'm smiling. I'm happy. Everything is OK. Would you get over here now? <laughs> so uh, I think Martha was probably giving some subtle hints, maybe clanging the pots a little bit, maybe walking through the room. Jesus, may I pour you another glass? <clears throat> Martha or Mary, <clears throat> do, you, do you need a, another glass as well? Would you like to come with me? Well, Mary just wasn't getting the cues. She was so kind of, it seems like the way we picture her, she was so just in awe of what Jesus was saying. She really wasn't picking up. And as much as Martha was, <clears throat> Mary, are you enjoying yourself? Mary, should we get our guests something to eat? She just wasn't getting it. So for her, for Martha to actually go to Jesus, you know it had gotten to the point where it had just built up inside of her. And how many of you can relate in doing what we feel like God has called us to do and we look around and that person is not doing what we think we should do and that person is not doing what we feel like is part of the process and the plan. We get slightly irritated. And the longer we think about it, the more it sort of builds up. Here I am doing all this work. I didn't even have time to put on a clean garment because I was trying to, to get ready for him to come. And here you are, Mary, just chilling out. 
And it slightly got so irritated to her that she actually went in the room and, and said something to Jesus. She called her sister out in front of everybody. I mean, that had to have been something that was building up because for her to go to Jesus and say, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Do you not see this? And you know how sometimes we do that? It's like, it's a bit passive aggressive. You know, we're in a room and we're with somebody that we're like, you know, they're not really doing what I think they should do. And, and maybe it's setting up for some children's ministry and you go, well, I mean, there sure is a lot to set up. It sure would be great if everybody could help out. So Jesus said, she said, Lord, do you not care? Then tell her to help me. And so I'm sure she was feeling at this moment, of course, Jesus is going to go, go ahead, Mary, help your sister. She's been working hard. She deserves your help. She deserves to sit. You need to go and take over. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. As we read that, we got to think, what is that one thing? What is that one thing in life in our day-to-day existence that Jesus is asking us to pay attention to? I believe it's his spirit and his voice in the midst of whatever we're doing. And I have to ask ourselves, if Jesus was among us today in this room right now, he is, his spirit is here, but if he were to appear in a fleshly since, like Miss Tina was saying, if he were to sit at the dinner table with us, I believe every single person in this room would fall on their face and worship him. And I think if he were to stay for our lunch, every single one of us would be not even eating, gathered around him. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? Where is he going to go? We would be so in awe of Jesus and what he was doing. But then what if he were to like hang out until Sunday service? Well, I'm sure John would give him the mic and he would do the message that morning. It'd be the Jesus podcast, best podcast ever. <laughs> but what if he were to hang out even longer? What if he were to hang out till Thanksgiving and then Christmas and all the months following and you began to get familiar with seeing Jesus every day? Maybe he would come to your house. Maybe he would stand in the laundry room with you. Maybe he would be in the kitchen as you were doing dishes. It's then that we have to come to grips with would I still have that same sense of awe and worship? Would I still have the ear to hear and the eye to see and be so anticipating, what is he going to do next? What is he going to do next? That one thing. And we often give Martha this bad rap, like, you know, if I was there, I would be sitting at the feet of Jesus. But Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, Jesus didn't say to her, Martha, you should be sitting here as well. He was basically saying, Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. What she needed to pay attention to at that moment, she was giving heed to. And I believe that Martha was doing the right thing by serving the master, but she had turned something that was holy into something that was work. You know, our work was never meant to be something negative. We always, it always has this negative connotation. I go to church, I have my hobbies, I have my friends, and then I gotta work. Gotta work to pay the bills. But work was, was never intended to be that way. Work was always intended to be worship. How do I know this? 
because God created in the very beginning of time when he said, Adam, you tend to the garden. That was work. But doing that was supposed to be a glorification to God. Our work was always intended to be worshipped. So I believe in this story that Martha wasn't doing the wrong thing by preparing a table and preparing a place and preparing a meal for Jesus and his friends. But because of her attitude, because of her perspective, she turned something that could have been as worship and holy into just work. Because she allowed herself to look at everybody else and see what they were doing and began to distort the very thing that she was trying to do. You know, Jesus had something very special for Martha that day too. In giving to Jesus, Jesus had something to give to her, but she cut it off by her attitude and her perspective. If work is worship and worship is work, then that would indicate to us that Christ is meant to be our boss, not just in church, not just in what we think of as spiritual things, but in everything. If I'm really working as unto the Lord, then when I go to my job that day, then I will do my best, and I will expect his best. It's a constant exchange. And I think that we sell ourselves short so often because we forget that one thing, that Jesus is always present, he's always there, he's always in the room, but because we're not giving him every part of our life, we compartmentalize our Christianity, we compartmentalize our spiritual walk with God, and because of that, we miss out. Well, what do I mean by that? We put kids in a box. We put our family life in a box. We put our hobbies in the box. We put our church life in a box. And then we put God in that same box. And maybe we go to him in the morning and maybe we give him a few minutes at night, but we somehow separate him from the in-between, the work part. When God is saying, I'm here, I'm always here, and I want to be involved in every compartment of your life. Because if we do that, God will take what we look at as just a to-do list and make it holy, make it worthwhile, make it purposeful. This morning we talked about talents. My goodness, if every single one of us could walk away from this meeting and say, I am not going to look at what everybody else is doing. You may have a talent that I'll never have, and you may have 10 talents, and I only have one, and it doesn't matter because as long as I'm serving God with all of my capacity, and I have an ear to hear, and I have an acknowledgement that Christ is my center, that Christ is my boss, it's interesting in the story that when he's writing about this, he doesn't refer to Jesus as Jesus, he, the name Jesus, he refers to him as Lord. You know, that doesn't happen all the time in the gospel, so I think that when it does happen, we pay attention to it. His lordship, acknowledging his lordship in our life, that means he's the boss of it all. We get so caught up in the particulars that we miss what's right in front of us, the joy and fulfillment of everything we need. This story could have ended very differently. And the thing is, we don't know what happened after Jesus said that. We don't know what happened in Martha's heart or mind after Jesus spoke that to her. But the very thing, just think about it, the very thing that she was trying to do, she took it away from herself. Jesus didn't take it away from her. Mary didn't take it away from her. She took it away from herself because she failed to recognize what her purpose was in that moment. 
The question, again, that I want to ask you today is when Jesus is speaking, where are you? And the example that I thought of when I was thinking about this this morning is a child. When you're in the kitchen and a child's like, mom, 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 mom. I'm sure you hear many different voices saying, mom, 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 mom. And you want to say, I'm right here. I haven't left this room. They may have walked out 20 seconds before. And then all of a sudden it's, mom, 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 where's this? Mom, where's this? Mom, 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 mom. And you're just like, I'm here. I haven't left. I've always been here. And we do that with God, don't we? God's here. He's always present. But we say, God, where are you? God, where are you in this situation? God, I don't see you. God, I can't feel you. God, where are you? And he's saying, no, child, where are you? I'm right here. I've never left. That story indicates that Jesus was sitting somewhere, maybe just in a corner, maybe in the center of the room. We don't know, but he was just sitting there. He hadn't left. See, so often we want God to come into what we're doing instead of saying, God, where do you want us to be? God, where are you? God, where are you? He's saying, where are you? When I'm speaking, where are you? We see this happen again in uh, John, John 11. Turn with me there. Here we see Martha and Mary again. And again, I don't want to give Martha a bad name because pretty much all of us have a little bit of Martha in us, right? But this is kind of a long um, chapter, but I feel like I tried to shorten it and, and think, well, I'll just read a couple of scriptures, but I feel like we need to read the whole story in context. So start John 11, verse 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming to meet him, and Mary stayed at the house, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, she's doing it. She's doing it again. Can you imagine Martha hears that Jesus is coming down the road? Again, I'm sure there was that anticipation and excitement. Martha acknowledged Christ for being Christ. You see that in the examples. She knows who he was, and she honored him for that, but she couldn't help herself. She always went from the spiritual to the natural, to the spiritual to the natural. And so she was, I'm sure, anticipating Jesus. And I'm sure she saw him at the, the far off. And I'm sure that in her mind, you know how we do this? We intend to say the right things. Like I'm really going to, when I see that person, I'm going to say the exact right thing. And all of a sudden it's like, what happened? Because what's in your heart will come out. What's in your heart will always come out, so you can't try to behave. Let me tell you, from experience, you cannot make yourself behave. You cannot say, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to do the right thing, without the transformative power of Christ in your life. You have to believe it before it will come out of you. So I'm sure she was intending to say, okay, when I see Jesus this time, I'm going to do like Mary did. I'm just going to worship him. But she couldn't help herself. Here comes Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Immediately she starts pulling on him. Immediately she starts yanking on him. Instead of just receiving him, she was like, where were you? Well, it indicates that she knew his position because of the fact that she knew if she, he was there, the power that was within him, her brother wouldn't have died. But she couldn't help by getting back in the natural. 
back in the natural. So then Jesus says, okay, I've had enough of you. Go get your sister. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. Um, he says to her, your brother will rise again. Here Martha says, again, she just can't help herself. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's like challenging her. Do you really believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She had the right answer. But when she had said this, she went away and called her sister. I've had enough of this. Let's go get married. <laughs> so she said, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly. I love that. She obeyed quickly and was coming to him. Verse 30 says, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Again. Do we see something there? Jesus didn't run over to her house. She came to him. What does he say in the word? Come to me, all who are weary and thirsty, and I will give you rest. So then the Jews who were with her in her house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. I love that that was her first response. Now, if you read on, she says the exact same Mary did, but she says it with a different heart, with a different attitude and a different perspective, because her first response to Jesus was, she fell at his feet and worshipped him. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her also saw, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind and have kept this man also from dying? This is such an important part of scripture that we can't move past quickly. We can't just read over it, the response that Mary had to Jesus moved him with compassion, moved him with the point, to the point of doing something. How do you move Jesus? You let Jesus move you. Mary was moved by Jesus the moment that she saw him, the moment that she came in contact with, her, with him, it moved her. She fell at her feet in worship, and though she said the exact same things as Martha, she said it with a different heart. Because Jesus didn't even say to, to Mary what he had said to Martha. He didn't even say that. He didn't need to say that. He was so moved by what was going on in her spirit that he said, where is he? Where have you laid him? That he had to go and deal with that. Verse 38 says, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone, again, here she is again, love her. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, again, she's like waiting for Jesus to do something. Did she not say if you had been here, he wouldn't have died? So she had that much faith, correct? Yes. But she couldn't help herself. She was in the spirit, trying real hard to stay in the spirit. But then her natural mind kicks in and she goes, um, he's been laying there a long time and he's going to stink. Does Jesus not know the stink and the stench and what if it gets on us and then I'm going to have to rewrap him and duh. 
So she gets back in the natural, and she says, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He has been dead four days. Are you kidding me? If Jesus were to go to the cemetery with one of your relatives or loved ones and say, take him out of the, take him out of the, the ground, would your first response say, wait, 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 wait. Do you not realize how long it's been there? There might be decay and bones and yuck. Do you, like, I don't even understand how that was her first response, but anyways. <laughs> but anyways, here we go again, stepping from the spiritual to the natural. And she says, but Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's King James Version. <laughs> um, so they removed, he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, he had already said he's the resurrection and the life. He said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they, and notice he didn't wait for a response. He just continued. <laughs> so they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it. <laughs> so that they may believe, I love that part too, so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43 says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. He was moved to the point of doing something. How do we move Jesus? We let him move us. We acknowledge his lordship. We acknowledge his, his rulership in our life. Unaware of the presence of Jesus, we are making what should be spiritual decisions on natural understanding. Martha, Martha tried, right? She kept, she continually tried. She knew who Jesus was. She knew the power that was within him. She knew he was sent by God. You can tell that by her response and her answers. But she kept going to natural understanding. Well, if he comes out, he's going to stink. And then what's going to happen? Is he still going to have the decay? Is he still going to have the disease? And a lot of us do that. We believe God part of the way. But we don't really let him have the rulership in our life to do what he wants to do and to do it the way that he wants. So we're making spiritual decisions on natural understanding. We're boxing God into what we think he should be doing instead of asking him, God, what's next? We bring the holiness of God into our tainted, sinful view of reality, making decisions on these three things. Number one, emotions. Number two, logic. Number three, experience. My pastor in Philadelphia calls this the unholy trinity of decision-making. You know, we serve an awesome God, a very powerful God, an almighty God, and yet we bring him continually into our natural circumstance and say, you can only do this if this and if this. God, I'm believing you for healing, and I believe that you are my healer, but, you know, I did pray for so-and-so, and they didn't get healed. Or, God, I want you to, to be Lord and ruler of my life, and God, wherever you ask me to go, I will go. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to spend time with this family. Oh, God, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. God, wherever you want to go, I'll go. Well, will you go and help Pastor Jonathan and Loom Like, uh, You know, that's an hour and a half away, and you know the kids have school the next morning, and you know, 
whatever it is in your life that you're believing God for and you're basing his rulership, his lordship, his supreme power, his almighty spirit that, that raised Lazarus from the dead, that created the heavens and the earth, that separated land from sea, that was before time and will always be. His word is forever. It's always been. It always will be. And there's nothing that our experience or our logic or our emotions can change about the word of God. But if we let all of those three things filter his word, it doesn't have the impact that it was meant to impact. It doesn't have... Hmm. We take what's holy and make it unholy. We take what was meant to be worship and make it work. So often, how many times have you come to church and maybe there's something that somebody said to you, maybe somebody did you wrong, and I'm not saying that those things are not valid. I'm not saying that emotions in your life are not valid. Emotions are truth. They're just not the truth. So I'm not saying what that person said to you or what that person did to you is not something that you're going to have to work to overcome. I get it. Sometimes people are just plain rude. Sometimes people get in your business when they were never meant to get in your business. You know, Mary was meant to sit at the feet of Jesus that day and Martha just couldn't help herself because she thought she knew what Mary was supposed to be doing. I get it. I get all of that. But when you come through the doors of this church, you got to let it go. You got to let it go in order for God to do what he wants to do in your life, to speak to you the way that he wants to speak to you. You got to let it go and you're saying, but, but this happened to me, but this happened and this, and, and this person did this. I get it and I understand and, and they might be wrong. They may be wrong over and over and over and over and over again, but I'm not accountable for their life. I am accountable for my own heart and my own life. And I'm accountable to him for what I say and for what I do. And he said to forgive. He said to let the past be in the past. And some of you might be saying today, oh, maybe you're feeling a little bit of, man, I've wasted all this time, you know. I've wasted all this time where I could have really been sitting at the feet of Jesus and acknowledging him in my day-to-day -day life and my work, and, and I've missed it. And what's so amazing about the spirit of grace What's so amazing about what she talked about, the love of God and the mercy of God, is it's never too late. And what's 10 years to you is a moment with God. He can get you in a moment. You may have wasted your whole life, but if you fall at the feet of Jesus, he can take all those years, turn it around, restore it, put you on the right path. And guess what? He's not up there saying, oh, but if you'd only obeyed me 10 years ago, I told you so. He never does that. His love and his mercy is never ending. His loving kindness never falls short. And so where we miss it, he makes up for it. Lazarus had been dead four days. Big deal. Big deal. Here you go. I don't know. Would Jesus have raised him from the dead if, if he had not seen, if he had not had the relationship with them that he had? I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we center ourselves every day in the spirit of God and acknowledge that he's in the house. He was sitting in the house of Martha the whole time and everything that she needed was right in front of her. She just hadn't acknowledged it yet.
emotions, logic, and experience, none of these have spiritual authority. None of them. They are a truth, but they're not the truth. A lot of us are making these decisions in our life with childish, me childish methods while facing mature consequences. And it's time to let it go. Whatever's standing in between you and Jesus, whatever's standing in the way, maybe it's busyness, maybe you've just gotten so busy. I've been guilty of that. And trying to do good, you're actually missing that one thing. I mean, we can do that in ministry. We can get so busy doing what we feel like God has called us to do and saying yes to so many things that we forget that one thing. My father-in-law calls it spiritual bulimia because everything that you take in from God, you immediately let it out. And you're not nourishing your own spirit. You're not growing in your own self. And as important as your purpose is to the kingdom of God, Every single one of you has a purpose. Every single one of you has a part to play in this kingdom. I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. We all work together to form a whole body. But the thing about that is, is your purpose and what maybe you're calling, his calling, is less important to God than his relationship with you. He first wants to know you. He first wants to spend time with you, and he wants you to know him. Because if you know him, then you're going to know what your purpose is. Because if you spend time with him, you're going to know where, where he wants you to go. Mom, 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 where are you? God, 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 where are you? I'm right here. God, where are you? what are you going to do next? God, God, what are you saying? We should be constantly asking him. Maybe he's told you to do a specific thing in your life, and you're doing it to the best of your ability. But guess what? He has more. He wants to guide you and lead you in all truth every day. Amen? So whatever's standing in the way, I want us today to make a decision to remove the clutter. Time to let it go. And I want to ask you what's occupying your heart. Does Jesus have all of it? Or have you cornered him to where you see fit? Have you ever been in one of those moments in worship? at the feet of Jesus, and there's been something that he's just been sort of reminding you of, saying, you know, I asked you to do this, and you haven't done it yet, or maybe you should give that up. You haven't really given that up yet, or maybe you should forgive that person. And he kind of pokes on you a little bit, and you kind of hear it, and you, you, you sort of like let it go. <laughs> just wait, Jesus, I'm worshiping. <laughs> God, God, I know you're talking, but like, I'm kind of busy up here, and, uh, <laughs> and he just sort of gently pokes. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. He's not like invasive or aggressive. He just sort of gently nudges. And if you notice that those things in your, your life that he's gently nudging you towards, that's so that you can be closer to him. That's because those things are causing a little bit of clutter in your life, and you're having to constantly step over them or move around them to get to him. And he's saying, I don't, I don't want any separation. You know, you're in unforgiveness, and they may have done that, that person may have done something that's awful and what you think is unforgivable, but you need to forgive them because of me, not because of them. You need to forgive them because it'll allow freedom in your life. You need to let it go because I have more for you. So whatever's standing in the way today of you and Jesus, it's time to remove the clutter. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. will you turn with 
me to that verse, please. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to read this in some good old plain English in the message version. I don't know if Jonathan's going to get this tape. <laughs> but it's... Um, <laughs> Matthew 11:28. it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that what we need as women? Oh, to be able to live burden-free, to be able to live out our calling as, as women of God, strong and mighty in the Lord. Maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you're a mother, maybe you're a daughter. It doesn't matter. All of us want to live with that weight off our shoulders so that we can come before Christ every day, and we haven't cornered him, but we've allowed him to be Lord over every part of our heart. And when he opens up, and looks at our heart, he just sees himself because we've chosen to fill our lives with his presence and his spirit. So often we think that serving God is going to be this, this list of to-do things. As Martha did, I got to prepare all of these things and check it off, check it off, check it off. Did I read my Bible? Did I pray? Did I serve in the church? Did I volunteer? And God's saying, what? Come to me. I won't put anything on you that doesn't fit you. I won't put anything on you that's going to weigh you down or burden you down. And if you're in those positions and you feel burdened down, you feel weighted down, it's probably because you haven't chosen to put that yoke upon him. When we think of a yoke, we think of two oxens, right? And they had that wood yoke upon their necks. Jesus is saying, if you'll partner with me. See, Jesus doesn't just want to be lordship and dictate your life. He wants to partner with you. He's in relationship with you. We don't get married to have somebody tell us what to do all the time. We get married <laughs> or have us tell them what to do all the time. Can I get an amen? Um, we get married to have covenant relationship because I'm stronger with you than without you because I can do more with you than I can do without you. And I have my strengths but you have your strength. And the thing about Jesus, he's good at everything, which is awesome. <laughs> so when we partner with him, when we yoke with him, instead of looking at it as, oh, I'm going to have to fulfill all of these things and all these to-do lists because I've got to be a better Christian. No, 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 no. Get that out of your head. Just get in relationship with him. Just continually hear what he's saying. Just continually saying, how do you get, the, how do you get in the move of the spirit of God? Some of you may be asking in your chairs today, what is my purpose? How do I know my purpose? How do I get in the flow of the Spirit? I want to be in the flow of the Spirit, but how do I get in the flow of the Spirit? Jesus is saying, just follow me. Open this up. Learn who he is. Hear what he says. And just follow him. It's a day by day by day thing. One of our, my husband and I's favorite quotes is, if you obey God today, and if I obey God tomorrow, and if I obey God the next day, I will find myself 
in the perfect will of God. I don't have to do all of these things at once. Everything that God, if God were to reveal everything in his life that he has for you, you would be going, oh, uh, uh. But he's so great and he's so kind and he's so wise that every day he'll lead you. Every day he'll walk alongside of you. Every day he'll partner with you to fulfill what you're called to do that day. And the next day, maybe today he asked you to take that person for lunch. Okay, I can do that. Take that person for lunch. Maybe the day after that, he asks you to, to read Corinthians and really understand the love of God. Okay, I can do that. It's simple steps that we take every day that look like little bitty things, but in the grand scheme of things, it is growing you, it is establishing you, it is empowering you to embark on the very destiny that God has on your life. And don't ever compare your purpose or your destiny with anybody around you. Martha was meant to be serving. She wasn't doing the wrong thing, but she was doing it with the wrong heart. Mary was meant to be sitting. And she shouldn't have been looking at Martha going, well, maybe I should have. It doesn't matter. Do what you're called to do. And do it with joy. And do it with the best of your ability. And let God be your partner. When I was praying, in closing today, when I was praying for the service, Yesterday, the Holy Spirit showed me this picture, and it was this kitchen table piled up with all sorts of junk. You know when you've had a really busy week, what seems to get all of the clutter is the counter or the kitchen table. And maybe you've got mail, maybe you've got return items, maybe you've got kids' toys, maybe you've got a week-old sippy cup that you didn't know was there. <laughs> all of these things, Kelly may have hair products, <laughs> piled up. And when we look at that pile, all we see is mess. And, and, and if we start to like look at the items individually, it kind of becomes overwhelming because each of those items represents a different compartment in our life. And I'm going to have to return that, and I'm going to have to pay those bills, and I'm going to have to deal with the kids' stuff, and, and it's a lot, and it becomes overwhelming. And so some of you may be sitting here today going, there's a lot going on in my life. I've come in with a lot of stuff, and it seems to be just piled up, and I'm going to have to individually deal with all of these things. And the Spirit of God showed me so clear this picture of this piled-up kitchen table with all this junk, and he just had his hand, and he just cleared it away. And my immediate natural response, just like Mary, my natural response was, but God, then what happens to all the mess? And he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And, and again, I wanted to go, but, but, but God, all of those things represent, like people have to pay bills and they have to do this. And I think that we're putting something spiritual into it, or I am, into a natural mentality. Because what he's saying to you today, if you'll trust me with all of that, because I believe that pile of stuff represents our life as a whole. If you'll trust me with every compartment and put me first, what does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I'll take care of it. I'll help you deal with it. Don't worry about it. But whatever's causing you to be separated from Christ, his love says that he's never separated from us, but, but we know that there are things that get in the way of true intimacy, amen? amen? Clear it away. It's not hard. You guys can come up. It's not difficult. It's just letting him remove it. Today I want to pray over you as we sing the song that we sang this morning, I'm running after you. Because at the end of the day, I believe it all comes down to that. God, I'm running after you.
Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to me, all who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. If you'll stand with me, I just want to worship. We praise you, Father God.